My name is Andy. I help people live life on purpose. This podcast explores the mystery, beauty, and complexity of life through conversations with an array of incredible practitioners, all of them working at the edge of what's possible for humanity. This is a place for big dreams, bold creativity, and fierce hope. Welcome to the Wonder Dome. If you're inspired by this conversation and you'd like to see it reach more people, you can help the Wonder Dome take flight by sharing it with friends and colleagues, subscribing, giving us a high star rating, and best of all, leaving a glowing review. If you'd like to go even further, consider becoming a monthly supporter. You'll help me keep the lights on and support a wide range of charitable causes. You can learn more at mindfulcreative.coach. Thanks in advance for helping us inspire the world. My guests today are the truly dynamic duo of Shannon Lucas and Tracy Lovejoy. Shannon and Tracy are the co-founders of an organization called Catalyst Constellations. And the work of Catalyst Constellations is about helping people who identify as change makers, activators, people who are committed to making a real massive difference in the wicked civilizational, social, global problems we're facing. Um, their work in identifying a sort of type of person that they call a catalyst and, and the particular elements or attributes that make that person who they are. Things like being able to connect dots that others can't even see. Uh, the capacity to see a vision and possibility for someone else or for a group of people or for a collective, and then to move at lightning speed to to actually bring that stuff to life that there's a that there is a certain type of person who is wired or or structured in such a way that they're just drawn to that energy and Shannon and Tracy are themselves catalysts, so even as you hear me describe it, you may be getting a felt sense of of what kind of person that might be. And you're going to get to hear from them the the way in which they both so uniquely fill that identity. So that to be a catalyst is not to limit the multidimensionality of who you are, but rather to recognize that there's something moving through you that is seeking expression in the world. And, and you might just be the type of person who makes that actually happen in the world, which is sometimes easier or perhaps often easier said than done. These two are just so fun. They uh, they bring together the, a playfulness and depth of thought and feeling and uh, creative energy that was really enlivening for me when I so often only interview uh, one guest instead of two. This is, I think, my third interview with more than one guest and my second with two guests who spend a lot of time together. And you're going to get to see and feel that kind of energy that they've clearly been generating and cooking with uh, over the years as they've built Catalyst Constellations. So if you're interested in checking out their work, you can visit their website, catalystconstellations.com. And you can also check out their book, which is called Move Fast, Break Shit, Burn Out. And is in fact not encouraging to burn out, but rather recognize that the, the, the kind of other side of the coin of being someone who is making things happen is that if you're not careful, you can break shit and you can burn out. And, uh, and that being really resourced and staying connected to the things that anchor you and drive you uh, are 
critical, essential, both to your livelihood and also to whatever mission you're taking a stand for. Uh, it's a really fun book. It's very accessible. And if you're just someone who's working really hard at something you care about, then this book is for you. And as you read it, you may even discover that there's this, this identity that you hold as a catalyst that you never had a word for before. And, and as you do that, you realize that Tracy and Shannon have been gathering together hundreds and hundreds of catalysts. I don't know, maybe even thousands at this point that there are, there's a community out there. There's a tribe for you. And if you don't identify as a catalyst, um, if you, there's still a lot of wisdom here in people in your life who might, who, who you might be supporting or who might be attempting to support you and they're kind of wild, move fast energy. And you can work with that and play with that and understand that. And bottom line, if you care at all about our collective human future, then this conversation is for you. So I had lots of fun with this one and I think we should get settled in (sighs) and hear what Shannon and Tracy have for us. All right, Tracy, Shannon, welcome to the Wonder Dome. Thank you for having us. Yeah, this is so fun. This is, as I was saying, this is the second time I've had the opportunity and the good fortune to interview two people who really inspire me, who also spend a lot of time working with each other. And, uh, and, and so it just adds a wonderful spark of uh, unknown, different than the one-on-one. And I want to invite in that kind of dance that we might do. Um, I've had a chance to speak with you one-on-one each individually, and they were both such uh, inspiring and such different conversations. Like each of you carry this unique flavor and expression of uh, this catalytic energy that you, that you stand for. And I'm really excited to explore that with both of you today. Well, thank you for that gift. It's definitely mutual admiration. Yeah. Right on Tracy. I was thinking we might start with you Uh, in your book. You share this really wonderful story of kind of uh, unearthing the person that you both call the catalyst. And, yeah. and uh, I just think that's a, I think that story would be a really wonderful place to start for folks who haven't read the book and who want to get a real felt sense for the work that you both do in the world. Absolutely. So my background in the, uh, is as a researcher. I went straight from grad school into working as a researcher at Microsoft, where I got to spend a good amount of time. Uh, while I was there, I was working with you know, folks that were focused on innovation, focused on making products for, you know, making people's lives better and, and for the future. My personal journey while I was there is that the research came to me because I always love connecting with others and kind of understanding mm-hmm. them and what motivates them. And so my path into specifically the type of research that I've studied, ethnography, was driven by that, right? Mm. Was that I've always been like that. And it was kind of just weird as a kid <laughs> that everybody just kind of, you know, talked to me. And so I've, I've sought out ways to help me make sense of my natural way of being. While I was there serving as a researcher, I realized that um, that distance of, you know, kind of helping, using my craft to help make products better felt a little bit too far, And instead, what I loved was really helping people's lives. And this became crystal clear as I became a people manager and then as a team leader, Mm -hmm. because the impact that I had so directly of like, hey, Andy, what is it you want to do with your life? 
And then once I was in a leadership position, being able to help people create those pathways and that Mm. led me toward coaching. Mm. Mm. When I found coaching, it was just love at first sight. We, you know, both sides (laughs) loved loved it. I know you do. I know you do. Uh, And so I left Microsoft uh, a few years after I discovered coaching to go out on my own as a consultant, as a coach. Once I did that, I found my own coach who was guiding me in thinking through how am I going to build my business? Who is it that I most want to serve? Which I know Mm -hmm. you totally understand that question. Mm -hmm. And so she was having me do a series of interviews with different populations. And I kept going out like uh, small business business owners or female small business owners or tech leaders or young tech leaders. And I'd be like, yeah, I mean, some of the people that I met, but I don't know that this is really kind of the niche that I want. And so I took a different tactic. And at that point I'd been coaching for five years. And so I went backwards and just looked at Mm. who are the people that really lean into me and that I've really leaned into and what do they have in common? Cause I'm not seeing, you know, an existing demographic today that breaks that down. And when I did that, I had kind of this crazed experience where I came out with like a seven page document and I like sent it off to my coach with, with great gusto and was like, Oh my God, there's something here. And she's like, okay, maybe you need to synthesize this down. <laughs> what I ended up seeing was, was this pattern of ways of being of people and, and you are both coaches. So you'll get this. And I know your audiences of people who always do their homework. Mm. Like what? Right. And I'm like, okay, what's that about? And it's people tied to that, that set these goals that often in session, they're, um, they feel a little scary, but they're willing to get vulnerable. They're willing to admit that it's scary, but kind of set these huge goals anyway. And then often by the next time we meet, they've done the homework that seemed terrifying and blown past it and forgot it was scary. And I was like, what's that? What's happening there? And people that were doing extraordinary things in their personal lives and their work lives and the goals that they set seem to always be about helping things be better in some way. This was different person to person, but that was a theme. And so I realized there was something going on there. And so I set out to do some research to understand this a little more. And at first it was still very self-serving as a business owner of like, how do we talk about this? Is there, you know, kind of a brand thing there? And in my first couple of interviews for that, I had a couple softball questions, right? Because I'm a researcher and it was just to get people to, to feel comfortable. And they were, hey, what do you think the attributes are of a catalyst, this thing we're talking about? And the second was, what do you think the challenges are for this type of person if you are one? Mm-hmm. 45 minutes into my first conversation, these two questions were still the focus. There were tears, there was relief. And I was like, okay, there's something going on here. And so that's when I transitioned to actually doing full blown research in depth interviews over the course of a year. And this is where Shannon and I connected more on the catalyst side. So this Mm. was kind of, we, we already knew each other, but this was the birth of that thread that has brought us together today. Mm. Beautiful. So I'm hearing that that in the course of your, your research, you discovered this kind of demographic of people who didn't fit a lot of the sort of like female entrepreneur or tech leader or what like sort of whatever the categories that already were in existence, just you're like, mm, no. And they exactly. all they all shared this sort of quality of dreaming really big, even if it felt a little scary. Yep. But then actually taking action really quickly once they exactly articulated right. the dream and sort of gotten some support to name it. You're, yeah. you're saying it even better than me. Go, Andy. Yeah. Well, that's it. I sense so Shannon, I sense that like 
as Tracy surfaced and named this pattern, you saw yourself in that, like you were kind of like, Oh, like I'm one of those people. And I, I want to help you help the more of those people. Is that, is that right? Or how did, like, how did you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, hundred percent. So I had already hired Tracy as my executive coach as I was building out the innovation program at Vodafone. Um, and it was interesting because one of the, the reasons that I hired Tracy was this like perpetual sense of being a failure. Mm. And one of the, the challenges that I was, um, like actively struggling with over years was how to activate the change makers within this very large global organization. So a little bit of background there. I had been like, I've always been in innovation from technology innovation, like working at Microsoft back in the day, actually, you know, leading some of the technology focused innovation. And when I got to Vodafone and there was this opportunity to focus instead of moving from the technology innovation to how we, you know, engage with customers, I was really interested in the process of innovation and the people part of that. Mm. And so we knew from day one, when we were building out the innovation program at Vodafone, we didn't want an ivory tower. We knew there were these positive change makers all over the world. And we were like, let's find them as a starting point, tap in and support them, stop reinventing the wheel in every continent. And from there grow kind of this global innovation program. Four years in, it was wildly successful. So I just want to throw that out there. While I was feeling like a failure all the time, we had CEO <laughs> sponsorship, we had dedicated money for training. We had, I mean, like every bell and whistle gamified, incentivized, like everything. Um, but the same pattern kept happening no, ma- no matter how big the program was, which it was like 10 to 15% of the people who were like, all these people had to actively raise their hands and lean in and say, I want to do this in addition to my day job, right? Mm-hmm. So like, there's a commitment mm-hmm. there. There's like a passion that's saying, I'm signing up for more work. And and yet, no matter how hard we made the, bo- the how high we made the bar for them to apply, the same thing happened. So it was this like 10 to 15%. And in fact, I was struggling so much. I actually created my own support group outside of work <laughs> called the Global Entrepreneur Salon. I was looking for the name. I was like, it's not innovator. That doesn't make sense for this. I found intrapreneur. I was like, that was the closest that I could mm. get. But it doesn't mm. capture it because it's really about the person. It's not about their role necessarily in relationship to an organization or not organization, right? Mm. So I had collected this global group of people that I handpicked thinking that they were like me. And some of them did and they leaned in. I was like, look, I'll kick this off and we'll co-create it and we'll co-own it. It'll be totally collaborative every month or quarter, whatever the cadence is, someone else can lean in and drive some thought leadership. And I ended up managing two communities, one internal and one external that were doing the same thing. So then Tracy shows up and she has me on her interview list and she starts sharing it all with me and the penny drops. Because as soon as, and so many people who have read the book share this experience with us, even if they're not catalysts, once you read the book and you understand what it is, most people can be like either, hell yes, I'm a catalyst, thank God, hallelujah, right? Or (laughs) it's the other people who are like, oh, I totally know that my partner or my business partner or whoever, I know that catalyst in my life. So it is this like lightning bolt of recognition. And then sort of just to bring that full circle, I had been planning a retreat for the Global Entrepreneur Salon because one very common uh, sort of trait that we were all experiencing was burnout. Mm. So I said, let's rent a couple houses in the Northern, in, in, in Northern California, a hot tub, some good wines some good food. We'll have an unconference. Like, yeah, we'll get the inspiration and stuff, but really like, let's just be and recharge ourselves mm. with people like ourselves. And I said to Tracy, do you want to do that? And she said, yes. And so that was <laughs> the birth of our company. Oh, that's so beautiful. And I, I want to just really make sure I understand 
you were feeling feeling like a failure because despite the external successes of these initiatives, only 10 to 15% of people were really engaging in the way that you like all in delivering on their commitments, like, and, and just showing up consistently. Is that right? Yeah, totally. I mean, that's, it's so good. And thank you for going back there. I mean, we, we actually um, had line of sight after all those years of the tens of millions of dollars we were contributing to in-year revenue, along with the hundreds of millions of dollars of pipeline we were contributing, right? The employee satisfaction score for people who were participating in that program is insanely high. We had generated more different C-level customer relationships than the company had ever experienced because they usually went to IT procurement, CTO. We were, we were talking different, right? So by any like metric of success for an innovation program, we were crushing it. But then Tracy sort of mentioned this as she articulated what it means to be a catalyst about their goals. Like you would have this goal that just seemed like this wildly unachievable, unobtainable goal. And you'd blow right past it because once you were almost there, you could see what the next version yeah, of that future looked yeah, like. Yeah. And concretely, and this is where Tracy and I have a lot of overlap. We're so deeply in service and commitment to supporting people in the ways that they want to be to sort of manifest them best their best selves. I was like, am I letting these people down? Like, mm. is there something mm. that, and that was the failure I think I felt the most was like, how, what am I doing that I can't activate them in a similar way? And now I know, and this is why we love working with catalysts. Those other people have a role, but what we're really interested in is those people that we don't have to teach to love change. We just have to teach them how to do it better. So they don't burn out as mm-hmm. hard and drive more impact. Yeah. Got it. So it sounds like there's an insight here that it's not about helping everyone become a catalyst, but rather recognize that for the for someone who doesn't fit that demographic, if they're participating at the level that's right for them and you're getting all these breakthroughs and income, blah, 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 all the stuff, that's a success in its own right. But you're really changing like, actually, there's this population of people who who see a change. And by the time that change is complete, they're already looking at the change that's that's 100 yards ahead or 1,000 yards ahead. And and that's the power of the catalyst is sort of always being ahead of the, the curve. But then the, the risk of the catalyst, it sounds like, is, is looking back and going like, why isn't everyone up here with me at the curve yet? Like, oh, I got to come on, everyone. And like exerting all of this energy and feeling like there could be more happening and that like produces this burnout and, and stuff. Is that right? Yes. And I'll let Tracy jump in after me. But um, yeah, the the we don't believe that you can teach someone to be a catalyst. Like Tracy hasn't done the research to say you're born or you're, you know, the nature nurture conversation. We know that it generally appears pretty early in life or maybe precipitated by some big event. And so, yeah, we're not out there to convince people to be catalysts. We don't even know that that's possible. We, there is an interesting line of thought about how the military actually teaches people to sort of connect dots hmm. and insights, sort of like, uh, you know, how catalysts do innately. Uh, but that's the part that Tracy and I love is like these, the catalysts bring all of that to the table with the, you know, driving towards results. And so it's just like, if we can just channel that energy and make that insane amount of like, yeah, it's just like this force of nature more productive land better and and minimize the burnout than the impact that it has on, if you think of a normal distribution curve of people's relationship to change, like the people who are right behind that, the entrepreneurs or whatever we want to call them, they'll get, they'll get pulled along in a really productive way. If we can kind of unblock the catalyst Mm. and make them more effective. Mm. Got it. Yeah. Thanks Shannon. Tracy, what's kind of sparking for you as, as you hear Shannon share her story and, and some of these qualities and attributes. It was more, it was more sparking with your summary. I was like, Andy, it seems like you relate to this. 
<laughs> the difficulty of bringing others along and finding yourself out in the front and being like, why aren't you guys here? So I was curious, you know, what was mm. actually rumbling for you, mm. to be honest. Mm. Thanks, Tracy. Um, let me sit with that for a minute. You know, there is a part of me that really identifies with what you're describing. And then there's another part of me that's not so sure. And like, I wonder, um, yeah, I just wonder about that. Like, I wonder to what extent is being a catalyst sort of a way of being in the world that's accessible in certain contexts versus like just this is who I am or this isn't who I am. Right. And, and maybe, maybe within the catalyst definition, there are even spectrums and gradations of kinds of catalysts or the energies of catalysts, but I'm, yeah, I'm struck with the, the part of me that really identifies as the part that uh, sees, can see a clear vision and share it really quickly. And the, the, the shadow side of that I've experienced is that, is that I'm too far ahead and sharing the vision actually confuses people or turns them off or, or frustrates them. And then I have to kind of, Oh, okay. Okay. They're just not there yet. They're just not there yet. And if I'm not able to do the, just, they're they're just not there yet. Then I actually kind of get, I get trenched in too much and I start pushing too hard. And it just becomes like this sort of, uh, it just becomes very self-defeating and then de-energizing for me. So I like, that's what I was like leaning into. I was like, yeah, what's there about the vision piece. That's, that's so, inspiring because we need vision in our world, but also can be really hard for someone who's trying to tap into and, and activate vision in others. I would just say that you just defined the classic experience of a catalyst. <laughs> you in your mind, there's none in mine, Andy. I know. I'm so curious, like what part of you doesn't resonate then? Cause I was like, yeah. yes, yes. And yes. <laughs> well, so yeah, the other part I think has something to do with like and and maybe this is also a, a classic catalyst challenge, perhaps. But, you know, like if Shannon, you're like, Andy, I need you to be in my global entrepreneur group. I'm like, oh, wow. Thanks, Shannon. And I would probably say yes, because Shannon's awesome. And, and I want to like be part of this awesome group of people. And then at some moment, I'd look around and go like, well, actually, I've yes, I've said yes to like 10 of these groups. And and I'm just overstretched. Like just I we I just literally have to make moment to moment choices that mean that I don't, I'm not always actually delivering on the commitment or the vision in the way that, that, uh, that I sense that like a fully activated catalyst is. So there's, there's just something there, maybe a, just an inquiry for me around, like, when does a, someone who's super visionary and energizing and, and, uh, constantly going after the next edge have to also say like, for me, myself, not the other person who I'm trying to pull along, but for me, myself, actually, no, I can't go in that direction. Even though I can see it, I can't go to it because I, because I'm going in this direction. What do you do when you recognize that that's, <laughs> do you Panic. just like let the commitments fall and not show when up? I was, when I was younger, this is great, by the way, for folks listening. And I love that I'm getting a coaching session right now. So just like, <laughs> listen to Tracy, let Tracy like have her effect on you as well. If you're listening. Um, I think when I was younger, I would do the like low integrity thing, which is a sort of like, just not show up or, you know, like, uh, you know, start to kind of like let it slowly fade away because there is something more interesting or exciting over here. But I think what I'm exploring now is the question of how, how in really high integrity ways to say no, when I need to say no, 
to, and to also bring closure when it's time to bring closure to say like, for instance, if I had been in Shannon's group and wasn't like participating at the level she knew I could, and she's feeling like she's a failure because I'm not part of the 10%. So like Shannon, this group's amazing. Um, It's not the right group for me. You know, like to have that, that kind of inner vision to see when when and where your particular energy or my particular energy is of most and highest and best service is uh, a question I'm maturing into more. And a lifelong lesson, I think. (laughs) Say it again, Shannon. A lifelong lesson. Yeah, gosh, yeah, totally. I find that word integrity so interesting there. I suppose I hadn't considered the folks who aren't showing up as not an integrity, but I I totally, I so see what you're, what you're saying. It's, it is very common in my coaching and in the conversations that Shannon and I have with Catalyst at large, the, um, the overcommitment, right. Especially if you see opportunities to be of service that, you know, you want to say yes to all the places that you, you think you can have positive impact the, you know, kind of joining a, a group and showing up is a little, um, you know, kind of off exactly what I'm, I'm talking about, but it's, uh, yes, I'll help you with that. Yes. I'd love to, to, um, you know, jump in and work on this project. Oh, I'd love to be part of that parent committee. Right. You know, like all the things of like that you have the best intentions and there are all kinds of metaphors that, that I have learned to use. Cause of course, as you all know, met different metaphors were differently for different people. Yeah. When I, my go-to is typically um, for catalysts to shift from being the hurricane to becoming the eye of the storm. Mm. Uh, we, we, we get so overcommitted in the desire to have impact and do all the things because we see all the opportunities. It's one yes. of our key characteristics. Yes. Yeah. It's like, and I could so, see, like, if I were on the PTO meeting, I'd be like, Oh, like imagine how we could recreate the school and make it more engaging and da, 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 da. And you can start to like, and then you like, you're like in it, you're like, Oh, wait a minute. Like there's entrenched politics. And you know, like there's, it's going is this really the sword I want to fall on? Or actually, is there other places where, where even though I can see that possibility, I'm not going to try and move people along because I have to, I'm over here. I'm trying to move people along or something. Is that, is that I have goosebumps at? as you say it. it, that's exactly right. And that goes back to your statement of vision, right? That we can so quickly see an end vision of things being better. And once we see it, we tend to jump in headlong to mm. support helping move toward that vision and orchestration or even imagining what it takes as you're saying to move people isn't necessarily the thing that we're thinking about as we make that choice. Mm. And so, you know, all the the minutes that it's going to take to really push forward all the things that we're imagining aren't where we're calculating. Yeah. And so we work with catalysts to kind of strip away what is it that's so core to what is important to you right now and what you want to achieve. And, and, you know, as a, you know, fellow coach, there's different ways to think about this kind of, can you tap into a sense of purpose, either that big P purpose or the right now purpose? Mm. Um, you know, one of my favorite exercises to do is kind of that like end of life rocking chair or write your own obituary and be able to say like, what really matters. And this is so important today more than any time I've been alive, right. In the, the time of the pandemic, as we've all been staring at the same walls and kind of considering is the place that I go to make dollars really meaningful to me. Mm. 
right? Am I situated in the right geography? Am I sitting with the right people? And we've all kind of said like life is too effing. I'm not sure if we, we cuss here. Oh yeah, you can curse. You You know, life is too fucking short to really be dedicating the minutes that we, we kind of mindlessly would end up with. Mm -hmm. Um, and so mm. getting back, you know, to that, that sense of metaphor, that, that being the eye of the storm helps us slow down mm. and look really consciously and choicefully at where am I going to spend my minutes? What really matters? Mm. Another metaphor that, that people like, if you've seen the matrix is like, be Neo, <laughs> right? Be like really understanding what is it around me and how do I want to be engaging with it rather than letting my environment drive me. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And catalysts are such manifestors that if we really kind of take a moment and you, you started our time today before we started the recording with helping us have a moment of mindfulness. Mm. And, Mm. you know, we find that to be so core to being able to connect in with what really matters, getting quiet, listening to your gut, and then making choices of what to say yes to. Mm. Mm. Love it. So sitting here as a researcher, there's nothing I'm hearing so far, Andy, that would make me say like, I don't, I don't think Andy's a catalyst. We don't force it on anyone. Right? You get to, you get to decide what, what fits or what doesn't, but the struggles I'm hearing you bring forward feel mm. very, very common with. Yeah. With what Thanks for sharing that. I feel, yeah, I can, I have maybe some sense of what lonely catalysts who are out there kind of without an awareness of this kind of tribe that they're actually a part of just by virtue of how they're, how they're wired. Like, Oh yeah. There's this like being seen quality that, that is really cool. And I would just go back to, you know, you asked a question that we haven't tackled head on, like, is there a range of catalysts? So there's also different ways to think about where you are in your catalyst journey right now. So we talk about, you know, there's a spectrum and I'm more on the, um, hurricane whirlwind ultra catalyst uh, energy and Tracy's a researcher so she wants more data she's more considered and that's a great balance for us as co-CEOs mm. right mm. Like, as long as we're honoring both of those and creating the time to to make a, a thoughtful intersection um so there's there's that kind of a of a scale I also and we need some better branding so if you have if you have any marketing people there's also sort of like what I call the mature catalyst which is not <laughs> I put that in writing someone's like is, is that like the AARP of catalyst <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there obviously is a correlation though with self-knowledge and skill development and all of that stuff. So like the people that we highlighted in the book as sort of examples of catalysts, you know, you're getting the ones that we picked who are high impact. Mm. And so they've developed a lot of the sort of personal awareness without having had necessarily the definition of catalyst, but they're like, I know that the first thing that I do when I go into a new job is to do a listening tour and listen to all the stakeholders. I know that articulating the clarity of vision and showing people mm. the fingerprints of the vision, you know, their input helps to get buy-in. So they've learned these things most often through some very painful experiences, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, but so just because those are the things we're highlighting, probably the majority of catalysts have the challenges that you're talking about, which I move too damn fast. I leave people behind. I'm spread too thin. And so we have a lot of those conversations. That's how we structure the courses in the way that we engage with people is to help them through those, those challenges. Mm-hmm. And the final thing I'll say is, you know, we highlight a, a woman in the book called Chelsea, when she first, you know, started working with Tracy and came to us was really like, I, I see what these people are doing and I don't feel that. 
And then, you know, she's like, I just sort of innovate or catalyze in my work stream and my job, blah, blah, blah. And then she ends up taking on Google for pregnancy discrimination and changing the law in Washington Mm. state. And, you know, so, and it's not to say that your endpoint has to be that big, but it's just like, you never, you know, you you are a catalyst, whether you're changing in your work stream at work or you're creating it on a massive scale. If some of the attributes that Tracy and I talk about, like the shared common experiences catalysts feel true to you. Yeah, I love that. And uh, I'm not sure what the better word phrase than mature, but there like that that lands with me because there's something it's like if I were to play with your metaphor of the hurricane, there's sort of the destructive hurricane, which is the not self-aware catalyst who's like ripping through stuff. But then there's also this like beautiful, like what if it was an inverse hurricane where like you're like you're in this eye of the storm, but all around you things are building and growing because you're generating all of this force and energy. And so it's almost like stuff comes together and crystallizes and grows and takes shape because of that energy. And you can't do that unless you're aware that there's not only the eye of the storm, but also the winds that that the the storm produces. And you have to kind of be in touch with all of that, I I sense, to really, really step into this identity fully. And it's a lot of... It's a lot of emotional labor. Like the last point that you just made is like the being aware. I mean, that's one of the things that catalysts come to recognize. It's like, we're really good at the empathy when we go outside of the building and sensing what people need or our customers need or what the system needs. And we come back in and that force of nature that you're talking about, we forget to apply that to being present and and empathic Mm. um, Mm. with our coworkers. Yeah, totally. Tracy, you were about to jump in. Anything you want to add on that? Yeah, there's uh, two. I, I love the metaphor that you're growing with. There's some work by um, David Rookin and William Torbert. They talk about seven transformations of leadership. Mm-hmm. They call them action logics. And the very top one is identified as an alchemist, mm-hmm. um, which has so much overlap with exactly what you were just painting of like that you are literally like painting things into existence right? That you're this, this creative hurricane in a most positive way. Uh, and it's really not that dissimilar to Paulo Coelho's book, The Alchemist, the way that they talk about this. And they mm. say that the, of their population they studied, there's a tiny, tiny, tiny fraction of people that really move into this way of being. And they, the image that they kind of paint is that someone who just like sitting in their chair, who seems so calm, sipping a cup of coffee is causing societal or community or organizational transformation at a scale that's so big. And yet they sit so calmly rather than being caught in the hurricane Mm. and they're Mm. able to manifest it and then organize and orchestrate others in such a powerful way. This is definitely a part of the journey I see with some of the folks that I'm working, you know, back to that mature or that experienced catalyst that really has grown awareness and harnessed themselves as this is for sure that Mm. magical Mm. being Mm. that I see you, you Mm. painting into, into Mm. perception. So why does the world, uh, thank you for that. And I, and I wonder like, what's important about a world where, for folks who are catalysts have achieved the kind of balance and, stillness in the midst of the complexity that you're describing, describing, like, why do we need more of that right now? 
Do you uh, mind if I, shall I go? <clears throat> yeah, Shannon, I mean, why don't you? I think we'll both have something to comment on there. So for me, like I've had a personal mission for a while, uh, which is to make the world's lar- largest organizational uh, organizations more sustainable in every sense of the word for people, for planet or for profit. So mm-hmm. I was in service of that mission in different ways before this. But what you start to, what I started to realize is, A, I mean, we need, we need that global transformation as like it's we're too late already so we need it now more than ever um and you know when Tracy and I came together there's so I think so little attention on the plight of the change maker and this is actually how we connect the dots for catalyst to doing you know rejuvenation aka some self-care but it's more than that right it's Mm. like doing things like saying no Mm. um which is a form of self-care making sure that you're driving your intention exactly where you want it because you can manifest anything so what are you doing then we help them make that leap when we say a burnt out catalyst creates no change at all and so we needed and we still need systems that support these wicked innate change makers in the world so that they can create the change that we need as fast as possible without a huge massive toll Now we could wax, I would love to have another conversation with you about this, Andy, because for me, there's this whole meta structure. Like I just wrote an article about it and it's like, we can't continue to create extractive systems and expect different outcomes. And the way organizations function right now are, you know, they literally call it human capital. They're extractive systems about how they're engaging with their employees. And until we start to invert that, the idea that we're going to be creating generative systems from totally burnt out whole shells of people is Mm. not very likely, Mm. right? So I just feel like it's so mission driven for me because I say this unironically, like I think the future of humanity like is almost depending on this work being done. Yeah, I feel that. Thank you for touching into that level of depth and, and intensity. Yeah. And, you know, just that maybe I want to respond and then hear from you, Tracy, but, but there's something about um, our capacity to, paradoxically face that kind of existential threat while also remaining joyful and optimistic yes. and visionary, like something about that art, the capacity to hold the vision of that beautiful possible future, even as we see a vision of the the breakdown that also could have come. It's like, how do you, how do you hold both? And it sounds like that's part of what you're really. This is the work right now, a hundred percent. And Tracy and I are struggling. We, we, we talk about this pretty publicly, like we're human catalysts too. We have been on our own journey, particularly this year. With, with that challenge. And it's interesting because the one point I was going to make about the Torbert work is um, they taught like play and joy is such a big part of that alchemist leader. And so how do we support people in, in bringing that and maintaining that in their lives in the face of global warming and, and pandemics? And we certainly don't have a crystal ball, but just the awareness helps us to, to strive to bring both in Tracy. Yeah. yeah what's coming up for you, Tracy? It's a compliment to everything you both are saying. The the why why now is it so important on the on the organizational system community governmental side. The pandemic has shown us that what's been talked about for years of disruption and innovation is no longer certain industries, certain companies that we live in a world where we face these issues that have been talked about around climate, around pandemics, right? Around the, the um, you know, shifts of 
how people are moving and human slavery and economies like these have to be solved at scale. And and there's no longer a company or an industry or a system that doesn't recognize that they have to be better prepared to solve problems that they weren't ready for. And if you're not tapping into and and building uh, cultures that support that, if you're not knowing who's ready to, to be able to help you see around corners, you fold and you fail. And we're watching systems do that. We're watching governments do that. We're watching, of course, companies do that. And so on that side, it's imperative for them to begin to create the conditions and understanding and identification of the people that can be ready. On the catalyst side, you were naming it so well. I can see this vision and I throw it out there and then it's it's actually bad and disruptive and it scares people. Like we have work to do on the mm. catalyst side mm. Mm. to know ourselves, to tap into empathy so that we're actually looking at where on the change curve are the people around me? Just because I see it doesn't mean they see it. What's the work I have to do to help them come along without showing the whole world I'm super annoyed right now? <laughs> right? Yeah. And so, yeah. you know, to me, it's both sides beginning to acknowledge where we are mm. and do the work. Mm. How can mm. we not? Like it's, it, like, it's not even like a Shannon and Tracy are saying it's the time. It's like, Nope, it's here. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. And the, to the extent, it strikes me that to the extent that we, and by we, I mean, anyone who cares about this question of our human future, whether they identify as being a callous or not, but like to the extent that we can allow ourselves to meet the, the unknown with a sense of solidarity and connection to each other and connection to our own gifts and our own limits and all of it. Like if we have any shot at all, it's in that space. So like part of the, the meta vision I, I'm hearing you articulate earlier, Shannon, and, and that you're speaking to even more Tracy is this kind of like, yes, there is a future world where, where our economy is, is sustainable and regenerative and, and, and people are no longer uh, trafficked in slavery. And, and we have, less hierarchy and more connection and all these wonderful things that like could be out there. But there's also like just the meta vision of before we get there, there are some, there's a journey along the way that includes more of us accepting reality as it is not sticking our heads in the sand, not freaking out, not like trying to fix it all ourselves. And as we come to that acceptance, like doing some community building and doing some healing and doing some kind of like the work before the work in a way. Goosebumps everywhere. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Mm. So one of the big, one of the big themes of your book is around this rejuvenation piece. And maybe we can just speak into that more specifically, because I think that I'll speak for myself, even as I, as I like start to get into the, like, yeah, the beautiful future, there is also the part of me that's like, Oh shit. The like, what if we don't get there part? And that even that, Oh shit feeling can be, can sap my energy and drain me. So I just like, Maybe we can talk more about what it, the pair, like sort of what can feel like an impossible thing, which is to slow down and, and take stock and, and heal and nourish in the face of what feels like this urgent and impending ever quickening kind of ambiguity in front of us. 
And I'll, I'll kick it to you, Tracy, first, just to see how that, like what that's doing for you. Yeah. This is, Shannon touched on this earlier. Working with, with any human, I find, because I, I certainly coach folks who don't identify as catalysts, but catalysts in particular, we have a hard time in Western cultures carving out time for whatever you call it, rejuvenation, self-care, downtime. Mm-hmm. Uh, culturally, there's, even in that word self-care, there's a, a notion of selfishness mm-hmm. as opposed to the reality that we see of you are a part of the equation of anything that you contribute to this world. Mm-hmm. The container of your body, mind, and spirit is a piece of the equation, but we tend, and this is where the catalysts are are unique. We tend to be so externally focused and our desire for impact is so out here. We almost don't see our own container, but marry that with Western notions of, oh, it's selfish. Like self-care is a weekend away once a quarter Mm. versus the reality and a metaphor that we like because it's so understandable. If you think of your own body, mind, and spirit as a battery pack, Mm -hmm. right? If your battery gets low, you stop performing. Yeah. If you guys have ever seen Big Hero 6, I have kids. This is one of our favorites. And as the battery gets low. I watched it before we had kids. So I'll just like. (laughs) So you know, right? He (laughs) sounds like this drunk, deflating, you know, like ridiculous thing. That's what's happening in our body. Yeah. Right. And our minds and our spirits. And so for people who are out there driving change and getting toward these beautiful potential futures that you're talking about, we have to begin to see that we see the vision. We begin to see some pathways to get there. We have to include our energy toward that. And Shannon said our, you know, one of our favorite quotes earlier is that burnt out catalyst is making no change at all. Yeah. If your battery gets to zero or anywhere below, you know, half, you're not able to fuel toward that vision anymore. Yeah. And I think you're saying this kind of implicitly and the battery metaphor is really useful, but it sounds like it's even a step further. It's like, if I'm burnt out or on the process of burning out, not only am I not contributing to change, but I may actually likely even be contributing to sort of uh, regression to, to sort of like stymieing change to like pushing so hard with so little energy that I'm pushing things in the wrong direction or making mistakes or, and so it's, it sort of has not just like a net zero, like, Oh, he's out of energy. We need to recharge, but actually like Oh wow! What's going on? This person's making impulsive choices. They're they're dealing, getting triggered by things that they used to just be able to handle calm, calmly in that kind of way you described earlier. And I wonder is, is that right? Like they're sort of it's not it's it's recharge, recharging and more. Yeah, you. There was a key phrase you said earlier, which was you know kind of the frustration of slowing down. Mm-hmm. And what you see when you study catalysts, we have high incidences of getting fired. Mm, mm. We have high incidences of our health declining so low that, you know, you're really off work or you may even end up in the hospital. And so our challenge to catalysts who see what we're talking about is slowing down is if you actually do the work to stay present in the moment, 
so that you're really listening, so that you really know how to frame your vision, so you know who to share it with when, back to your example, so that you're realizing if you have to have some one-on-one meetings to do it, so that you're not showing up as fierce, angry, annoyed, so that you know, you're moving toward that, whoops, she got fired moment. Yeah. <laughs> you may move slower in today, but when you look at the path toward change of that vision, you actually have sped it up mm. or even actually allowed it to happen. Because if you get fired toward doing something that you were really passionate about, game over. <laughs> Moving yeah. fast in those early days didn't end up helping you be successful. Yeah. Yeah. That's beautiful. Thanks, Tracy. Shannon, what's this, what's coming up for you as you, as you hear us play with this question of like the importance, centrality of rejuvenation and care? Um, I'm actually, I'm torn in two directions. One is uh, going back to what Tracy was just talking about, which is the organizational context and um, just how catalysts can create the structures for themselves as the scaffolding to help them moderate their normal way of being in the world. Like it's hard to ask someone to not be them innate, their innate selves, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like, this mm-hmm. is so deep in how we show up that Tracy and I don't take lightly what she just said. It's like, yes, we can make the case, which helps you intellectualize and prioritize it, but then putting it into practice, especially in a world that is also looking at a lot of those change makers who are coming in with visions that may take two years to even realize something. So that's where our sense of urgency comes often is also from the system saying, well, I need some proof now. Like I believe you for the first part of the journey, but like, if I'm not seeing results by X, does that mean that it's not going to work or whatever? Mm. So like, you know, just being really honest about the context that catalysts face. And so how do we help catalysts create tools that are supportive of them and the systems that they're in. And that's a lot of the work that Tracy and I do. And I think bringing that back full circle, for me, mindfulness, however you call it, whatever, you know, you did a beautiful job of centering us. And it's like, it's just, it's just centering, right? But it's like bringing some of that skill into highly catalytic teams and into the system so that the catalysts themselves can moderate, but you can also moderate the system, you know, with those tools are beneficial for everyone to just sort of slow down and get aligned and create the space for everyone. And I'll just like throw out a nod to theory you, like, this is why I love Otto's work is because he's all about like creating the space to see what really needs to emerge. Mm -hmm. So, you know, us being able to bring those tools and going back to creating regenerative ways of being in the system while we're creating more regenerative systems, I think is the work. Mm. But but you started off this conversation, this part of the conversation with when the world feels so shitty, how do we how do we yeah. moderate this piece, right? And yeah. um you know, it's for me I, I hit that that low point every couple of weeks now because it's just so intense. Mm. And for me, mm. this is where the mindfulness comes back in and just being like, you know, this is my own narrative, but there is a joy to being alive. Mm. It is a special gift. This is a unique time and space. And just connecting with the experience of aliveness Mm. creates a spaciousness for me that it's like, okay, and then with this gift, and this goes back to your focus, where am I going to channel this precious energy that I have for these precious years? Mm. And, And so it's like, 
it becomes, it is, it is selfish in the sense of it makes me feel better and I can see impact and it goes on the upward spiral instead of the downward spiral. But you have, for me, I have to just stop and like clear the space again and allow that deep reconnection. Mm. 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 Are you all familiar with the work of Joanna Macy? I'm not, no. uh, She is an elder Buddhist teacher, an American Buddhist teacher um, who cares very, very deeply about building, building a regenerative world. And she has a quote, which has become one of my mantras. And it was shared with me on a previous guest. And I just, it's just here with me right now. So I want to put it into our space and see what you both do with it. And I'll paraphrase it. Something like, you know, Shannon, I I don't know if we're going to make it Tracy. I don't, I don't know if we're going to make it. None of us know if we're going to make it. But if the ship's going to go down, I'd rather go down looking each other in the eye. Mm. And what you just described, Shannon, is sort of a, I got a hit of that, of like, yeah, it gets some, every couple of weeks, I'm, I face the like possibility that we're going down, but I connect to that and I stand back up and say, well, I'm alive right now and the ship's still in the water right now. So what does it mean for us to to encounter that aliveness for as long as it's here, even if it's fleetingly precious, which in a way for each of us as individuals, it is fleetingly precious, whether, whether or not a thousand years from now, the species is still here, right? Like in a way we are going down in a way, right? And, and, and it's interesting because the pandemic has put that in everybody's face. Like global warming is not, we're too much the frogs in the boiling water for, for global warming. Mm. The pandemic actually was the slap in the face because people, in my opinion, should have been having the response that they had with the whole great resignation and the thing that Tracy brought in earlier about not, you know, not living in purpose for as they go to work to earn the money. Um, but the pandemic actually did that for people. And so I actually got into a pretty heated conversation with one of my, one of my neighbors and, and cause he's basically, he's, he's in his late seventies and he's kind of, he's sort of given up and it makes him, he's really sad. It's really hard for him. And I was like, but even if it's 1% chance, like whatever it is, is a legacy for my, for Mm. like my son's Mm. future and stuff. Like I'm going to get up every day and fight for what, for whatever that more positive future might possibly be. Mm. And you're right. In some ways it doesn't matter to me because I won't be (laughs) see how that plays out. So yeah. Yeah. Yeah, It's a really beautiful, heartbreaking, but beautiful paradox that like we live into the fragility of it all with hope that our kids and their kids and their kids might, might be in something that's different than what we're in. How about you, Tracy? I have a very different response to that quote. I love, I love that you brought it, but I was like, non-attachment to outcomes? That's not catalysts. <laughs> I was like, I don't know if we're going to make it. Mm-mm. That is not, that is not what, what most of them are saying. And then I had to have a conversation of like, should they be saying that? Right. Like there's this depth of belief because the visions that catalysts see become a reality that almost feels painful to not help the mm-hmm. world manifest. Mm-hmm. And so even in acknowledgement of we might not get there, I would think that most of, of my clients would almost feel like it's an admittal of failure. <laughs> 
right? That it's a moment of panic where it's a moment of like, um, haven't had enough sleep that, 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 that comes into their mind and they need to go rejuvenate and get their battery packs so that they're like, no, of course we're getting to the vision. I'd rather do it to you, do it, you know, looking you in the eye, I think is a really powerful mm. reminder for them, right? Mm. Cause because they can, we can be so future focused and, and living in the vision, as it were. This is where we forget to look people in the eye, mm. not dissimilar to when you're like, I show a, I share a vision. <laughs> people aren't ready for it, and it has these consequences that I, you know, because probably mm. you you were you were showing you were like putting the spotlight on the vision, as opposed to kind of really reading them and their energy and understanding what their experience is compared to that new destination. Mm. And so I love this as a frame to be like, Hey, Callis, you really need to look people in the eye (laughs) or else you're not going to be able to help them get there. But the first part I'm like, "Mm, don't know if I could sell it, Andy. Well, it just makes me laugh because it was a very (laughs) heated conversation with my, so like, as you say that the meta thing of like, yeah, I didn't buy that for one second. The non attack. I was like, and at the very least I'm going to do everything in my power to make it possible so yeah well, well played tracy <laughs> i so appreciate you you dancing with it um what what's sort of anchors me and i'll just speak for myself what anchors me in that quote is the recognition that if we're going to make it right to whatever beautiful distant shore is waiting for us we actually have to tap into that capacity to look each other in the eye and so it's yes. like in the sort of like ship going down headspace, we can touch into a possibility that we can still meet each other. And then suddenly as we meet each other, the ship writes itself, right? Like that's one possibility here is that actually that very ability to look each other in the eye is part of the vision. And, uh, and that, that anchors me, uh, as I navigate into the unknown that if I can do nothing else, but just meet the people who are right in front of me right now with as much present and presence and intention as possible, then there's a bit of an act of faith that the next choice or the next possibility will emerge. So I don't know. It's some, there's something humbling for me about it that, that I feel is important. I have a question for you. Cause I, I totally agree. And I, you know, it, it's connected to what I said about in order to create regenerative systems, we have to work on our own regenerative capacities and I guess if I, if I do my biggest fear around all of that, or at least one of them is that there aren't enough leaders who are showing up that way right now or holding space for that. I'm just wondering, like you get to talk to a lot of people, what's your worldview about, you know, leaders who are helping to drive that kind that, that part of the change. Mm. 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 Thank you. Yeah, again, I'm there. There's there's this kind of both end coming up. So so there is a part of me that despairs a little bit when I when do when I see leaders who many of us assume that people in positions of authority have lots of power. That's the like story we have about authority. But when I work with people in positions of authority, their feeling is a feeling of helplessness. Of like there are all of these competing expectations and and needs and wants and and stakeholders and bottom lines, and it's just like. The pressure on most leaders can feel like reality, can feel like, oh, this, if I don't do this and 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 this, I'm a failure. My company's a failure, and and that's it, period. 
And in a way in the system we've created, that's true, that's right? True. Like there, totally. that, there, there is a truth to that. So I like, so I sort of, I like that part of me is like, fuck, like, what do we do? But then on the flip side, uh, another thing I anchor in is that, that somehow, despite that I encounter often, and I, and I have to like really sit with like, what's my instinct on the ratio, but I would say it's something like one in every four people I work with just so surprises me in a really humbling way with their capacity to see all of that mess and to even feel the pressures of it, but to still step out of the pressure and like look at themselves and the system in the same way that you were talking about earlier, Tracy, like I am part of the equation and the leaders who can see that uh, are able to access these deep wells of energy that are really incredible. And so like, I often see one of my, like in the show is part of that. And my coaching is part of that. Like to the extent I'm able, uh, very humbly is to help myself and other people do that sidestep to actually see their own relationship to the bigger issue, because that's the only place where they have any agency. Right. And a, and a friend of mine uses this wonderful metaphor. I'm not sure if she came up with it or she got it from somewhere else, but, but have you all heard of something uh, called imaginal cells? So this is something, it's a kind of stem cell. Uh, uh, I don't, there may be a number of animals who have this, but one in particular is caterpillar. And when a caterpillar forms its chrysalis, which will then make it in a butterfly, there's actually a pretty trippy, uh, scary thing that happens inside that, that chrysalis, that cocoon. Um, the caterpillars, imaginal cells, which are just a name for a kind of stem cell that can take the, the sort of matter of the caterpillar and turn it into these bright, vibrant wings and these long antenna and this curly tail and all the stuff that a caterpillar, uh, that a butterfly has exists as potentiality in the imaginal cells. And those cells start to activate and the caterpillar's immune system reacts and actually a fight goes on, or I don't know if a fight is the right word, but, but, but the sort of immune response activates and tries to suppress the imaginal cells. And sometimes uh, they do. And what you're left with is a dead caterpillar. But what mostly happens is that when there's enough imaginal cells that they reach a critical mass, a cascading effect occurs. And suddenly all of the other cells in the caterpillar uh, are given permission, the immune system response stops. The, all of the cells dissolve, form this kind of like uh, sort of clay in a sense that can then be remolded into this beautiful new form. And so it's like, the question I'm sitting with is, do we need, if, if my ratio is right, one in four, maybe it's one in 10, maybe it's one in 20, I don't know. But do we need the other four, three or 10 or 19? Maybe we don't, maybe we just need to find a way for those one in four leaders to reach a critical mass, maybe it needs to get to two and four, and suddenly that there's going to be a cascading effect that will have a positive ripple effect on the system in the same way that some of these negative systemic things are in place that are kind of keeping us constrained. So that's like, there's the despair, but also the kind of like wonder at like, look at nature. It's there. You don't need everybody. You just need the right constellation to use your language of, of critical mass of catalysts. Yes. If you were leading the change. Yes. yes totally. There it is. There it is. So uh, I love that so much. Like, how do we not know this metaphor? I feel <laughs> like if we knew it, it would be on everything we Actually, send out, like be the butterfly. Cause we talk about kind of, you know, don't let your wings be held down anymore. Well, I, she oh my gifted gosh. it to me. So I gifted Thank to you. Thank you here. for sharing that gift. 
And I yeah. need to connect you with Aidan McCullen, who actually Tracy in his book uses that metaphor and talks about it. So I had, I was like, that sounds familiar. Um, and his book is um, disruptable. Um, and it's about disrupting yourself. And so he uses that metaphor sort of throughout, which is beautiful. Oh, cool. I'd love to talk to Aiden. Yeah. Nice. Sitting on my desk. Got it. Got it. Got to go. Yeah. It's, it's so, you know, what you're saying, Andy Ridley, it's very much to the science as much as it's a science, the research around innovation Mm. and the looking at, uh, you know, statistically how many people need to adopt something new for it to have a critical balance, uh, mass so that it shifts the balance. Mm, mm. And so kind of conventional wisdom in that research says you need to hit about 20%. So about that mm, one in four, mm, one in five. Mm. And so one of the things that Shannon and I do in the world is help organizations identify their catalysts because so many change initiatives try to trickle down from the, the top. And if you're doing that, it's a much slower process to be able to hit that balance because you're not finding your natural, what is it? Imaginal cells. Imaginal cells. Yeah. They're like the catalysts who are already embedded inside of the organization. That's exactly right. And so what we do is we help organizations find them that aren't just catalysts by our definition, but also aligned to their cultural reality. Because you can't just have the catalyst that fits, it doesn't fit within who you are today. Because just like you said, it'll reject that cell. Right. Yeah. Right. And so there, we understand, like, even though we have a baseline definition, you still have to find the people that can act within who you are. Because organizations are unique. Mm-hmm. Right. Based on the people mm-hmm. that are there. And so what we do is we help organizations find them so that as executive teams are launching these things, they can leverage their imaginal cells, their catalysts mm-hmm. to be mm-hmm. able to hit that percentage so that the adoption tips more flawlessly, more seamlessly, rather than it being this top down. And then there's the resistance mm-hmm. and there, there's just a stopping point. Mm-hmm. And we add into that the skill development to help the catalysts. Uh, develop the self-awareness and then the effectiveness so that they don't become the bull in the China shop. You know, even if they, even if they fit within the organizational context as we define it, we still have to teach them to slow down, to over-communicate, to get clarity, to develop action map, like all the tools that helps that help them be effective as well. Mm -hmm. This is so cool. I'm just realizing we're at a, at our time boundary. We're just about, we've just, just blown it. But maybe if you have a few more minutes, we could just close. I'd love to give each of you a chance to kind of share a closing thought. Do you have a, another couple minutes for that? Is that all right? Okay. I think what I want to what I want to hear, what I'm feeling into, is to hear each of you um, speak to in a like is in whatever way it feels true for you, but in a sort of like visionary way, like as you sit with this recognition that there are catalysts and that part of your work and your calling Shannon and Tracy is to call those catalysts and bring them out and connect them and build constellations of them and, and plant the seeds inside of organizations, but also in entrepreneurial, like you're sort of, you're serving as these kind of catalyst connectors. That's how I'm understanding you and your work. What, what vision are you seeing? Like what's becoming possible 
that you can see now that you couldn't see uh, when you first had the initial vision of like, oh, we have to serve catalysts. Like, what are you seeing now that's possible because of your work that you couldn't see a year ago or five years ago? Part of what I see, I hesitate to share because it feels maybe smaller than the question is inviting me to bring Mm. just to be totally transparent. Mm. Uh, As a coach, something I love in my work, especially working with catalysts, not especially actually in working with catalysts is I know that my impact on the world and the world that exists beyond me We all see, you know, coaching websites with that proverbial, the drop in the water and then the ripples that go out. The ripple that I get to have with people who go on and are unlocked to more powerfully change the world is immeasurable. Mm. Mm. Right. The truth is, if I died tomorrow, like that sense that so many of us have of like, did I really impact? I'm like, yeah. So what's shifted for me, and this is a huge compliment to Shannon and and, and the work I get to do with her is I was never certain how far the message could get out there Mm. because I do tend to stay a little insular. I'm not, I'm not as comfortable kind of in the public space. Uh, You know, even though I have the research and always imagined a book, I don't know if I really would have, would have gotten it out there. And so what I see is the opportunity for, as Shannon was talking about earlier, the people who make change who are naturally like this to have access to the information that we have learned that truly unlocks them. Mm. 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 How exactly do we continue to get that wave of knowledge out there? I don't know. Mm. But I see this, you know, kind of in my own sense of of meditation is just this electrified grid of people around the globe that have you know, done the things that I hear you talking about of being able to know ourselves, of being able to to slow down, to be able to look people in the eyes and to truly then tackle, like you said, in community and awareness, these problems that seem to plague us and begin to feel impenetrable, like Shannon's neighbor experiences. Mm. Mm. Um, And that feels, even though I don't know the how totally, it feels in my body like we're on the path to help unlock people to do that. Yeah. Before Shannon, before you jump in, I just want to respond. I'm one. I want to say right before you said it, uh, this interlocking web of people, electrified grid around the world. That was exactly the image that was inside of me. As you were like, what you were saying leading up to that, I was like, Oh, this like global inter. And you're like this electrified grid. I was like, yeah. So I want to just like honor and mirror that. And I love that you're like, yeah, it feels small. It's just a global network of change makers who are like, you know, so just like really, maybe that was a classic catalyst moment or something, but. Really. <laughs> I was having that moment too, Andy. She started like way down here with coaching. Then just like, and then, and it goes on without us. <laughs> <laughs> you know, a multi-generational legacy of human flourishing around the world. I just something small like that. Um, okay. All right. Fair enough. <laughs> So thank you for sharing that that vision, Tracy and Shannon. I want I would love to hear what came up for you either either initially with my question or in response or both. 
Well, it's super connected and probably not surprising that Tracy and I would respond to this with a lot of overlap because, you know, we walk the talk in every quarter. We have a strategy session when we are, you know, our, our alignment continues to be insane. And I was actually struggling with the same thing. Um, I, I was like, the, 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 the middle part is a little hazy, right? So mm. I can see like what's mm. unfolding right now and what's unfolding right now is, and, and there's an interesting piece too, which we haven't fully resolved yet because we work with companies and we work with individuals, which makes the narrative a little bit tough. But so like on the corporate side, we're starting to see that there is a demand and high impact for organizations that are identifying and supporting their catalysts and all the ways that we were talking about. And, and I'm hoping that that is the beginning of that flourishing moment, you know, between in companies and yeah, just getting the whole global movement going with a shared language and understanding, I guess, about why these people are important and how to, how to tap into them. On the individual side, we're already seeing, and it, you know, it's really only been like a year. We, it's like we, we started doing it full-time in January 2020. It takes you some time to get some stuff to market. So like a year of a community and impact and driving things. And we're getting stories back of the constellations that are forming with us having no part of it, basically. Mm. And the impact mm. that it's driving. And so I guess if I look into the like slightly grayer space beyond the companies, and this is probably coming sooner than I think it is, um, there is a demand. All of the challenges that we're facing are systems challenges. Mm. And so how do we leverage the catalyst in all of these different places to break down the barriers, to co-create faster, to actually drive more impact, to solve the large systemic challenges? And so mm. I guess that's what I see emerging. That's in service of that electrified sort of beautiful. network. Talking yeah, about. so beautiful. Thank you both. This has um, really been fun and meaningful and I feel really enlivened about like the, I have a felt sense of the many people who might not even know that they are this kind of person who are out there. And, and I love that, that you are both standing for like the beacon, like I see you and we need you and we need you to take care of yourself and, and we can help, help you do that. We would so love to hear from them, even just that yeah. we'd love getting the stories about like reading the book and like it changed my life. I feel so seen. It's like joy, pure joy for yeah. us to get those. So, yeah. Yeah. Thanks. If people want to connect, like just I'll include all the stuff in the show notes and everything. But but just for folks listening right now, where, where would be the right place for them to go? Yeah. Our website, www.catalystconstellations.com. Yep. Brilliant. OK. Thank, Thank you, you for seeing us, Andy. Seriously. Yeah. Yeah. And I think we also have to give a shout out to our, our friend, uh, Ashley Monday, who was also a guest on the show. She's a con- like, whoa, she's a powerhouse catalyst connector. Superhero. Oh, yeah. So love, love big love we to her. Love too. Ashley. Yes, we do. Amazing. All right. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for listening in. Thanks for tuning into the Wonder Dome. This podcast was produced by me, Andy Cahill, with support from Kelly Serqua and audio editing services from John Nolan at Middle Mountain Studios. The theme song was written and performed by Todd Marston. You can find the Wonder Dome wherever pods are casted. If you dig what we're doing here, please share widely, subscribe, and give us some love in the review boards. And if you feel called to support this humble offering to the world, while also making an even greater impact in the lives of others, consider becoming a monthly supporter. Not only will you help me keep the lights on and keep the show going for as long as I'm able, But 30% of all member contributions go directly in support of causes like the Black Lives Matter movement, the United Nations Refugee Agency, 
and the National Resources Defense Council. You can find out more at my website, mindfulcreative.coach, where you can also sign up for my newsletter, learn about my transformational coaching work, and get plugged into exclusive offers and community happenings. In the meantime, I'm wishing you a life of purpose, power, and presence. We need you now, more than ever.